I'd like to ask you to stay standing for me as we uh, read from God's word. Um, my text is in Exodus chapter 15. Uh, I'm reading out of the NIV version, the New International Version, and beginning in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. Um, so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree a law for them, and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where, they were, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Let's pray one more time, just so that God can give me extra confidence. Lord, we just pray that you'd anoint your word, and that uh, you would also open our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. Thank you again. I'm already starting to feel that you uh, have some patience in your back there saying, you know, Pastor Mike, you can do it. So I appreciate the encouragement. Um, it's a little new to me, and it's been a while since I've preached in the pulpit, so um, I forgot how hard it is prepping for a sermon. And it seems like um, everything that can go wrong goes wrong when you're trying to do something like this. So, for example, I've been uh, waiting for eight, since April for the, the crew to come out to trim my trees. Uh, and guess when they decided to come out? They showed up today. So um, if I'm a little flustered, that's another reason why. Um, pastor asked me to preach about divine healing, uh, to talk a little bit about divine healing. He's been doing uh, a series uh, on divine healing. And so I'm just going to give you some thoughts. And uh, first of all, I want to talk about uh, divine healing is in uh, what we call our 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God. It's one of our doctrines, and I'm going to read the doctrine to you. It says, healing is an integral part of the gospel. Deliverance from sickness is provided for in the atonement and is the privilege of all believers. And they, of course, have um, some proof text to go along with that if you want to look them up. Uh, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Um, Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. And James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. The title of my message is uh, Jehovah Rapha, uh, the Lord, our healer. And so we're going to focus on that whole idea of um, God is our healer. Not only is divine healing one of our 16 fundamental truths, but if you didn't go to Bible college or you're not versed in doctrine, you may not be aware that it is one of our cardinal doctrines. Uh, one of our four cardinal doctrines, what we call as a Pentecostal distinctive, that we as Pentecostals believe, and there's something that we hold sacred that may separate us from others who are not Pentecostal. And those, of course, are salvation, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, divine healing, and uh, the second coming of Christ or the blessed hope. Those are our four cardinal doctrines. So divine healing is very important to us um, as uh, members of the Assemblies of God and as believers in Christ. Um, however, it is a difficult subject. I don't know how to say this, but to live with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, this year, I don't know how many of you know this, but it has been an extremely difficult year for me. Uh, I lost my brother in uh, November, uh, to cancer. Uh, he died 63 years old. Um, and then in January, I, I lost my father. My father passed away as well. Um, and uh, just in the past, uh, my mother, 
passed away from a, a neurological disease called PSP. Uh, it's been, what, 17 years ago now? 17 years ago, and my mother-in-law, uh, we lost my mother-in-law to Alzheimer's. And I'm not the only one in this room, I'm sure, that has, that, that has, that has a family member that has been diagnosed with um, a disease, a terrible disease, or even terminal disease. Um, maybe there are folks in this room. Uh, this very week, I learned of a friend's death. Um, he just buried his mother and came home for the funeral and picked up uh, a virus of some sort, and uh, he's gone now, too, 63 years old. It was a sudden, um, untimely death. And uh, again, the same week, I received news of another friend of ours who had a diagnosis of, let's say it's a troubling diagnosis that she had to have surgery and has caused a little bit of fear. And so I think that um, when we come to this idea of divine healing, I want to be real clear on my perspective or my insight of it. What it is not is, um, well, let's just go jump right into it. Um, a few years ago, um, I don't know about you, but I had been in the habit of when I would come home from work late at night and I would turn on the late night TV shows, uh, the talk shows, whatever. Um, I want to say Jay Leno, or I would say Johnny Carson, but that would really date me. But you know what I'm talking about, Jay Leno, Johnny Carson, who are the other people? I don't even know anymore. Uh, I've, gotten to that, I've gotten out of that habit now. But I was watching one of these late night shows, and they had on this comedian, her name is Sarah Silverman, and she was promoting a film that she had that went out, it was uh, a result of her comedy show, which was a successful show, so successful they decided to make a movie out of it in 2005. And it was called Jesus's Magic. And I, I, I listened a little bit to the conversation back and forth. And I remember how offended I was by that whole concept of Jesus's magic. But you know, that's really kind of how the world views this whole faith stuff, isn't it? Um, how many of you have ever asked to pray for somebody who was an unbeliever who was sick or was having a difficult time and you said, you know, in compassion and sympathy or empathy, can I pray with you? And they said, well, <laughs> if you think it'll help, you know, something like that where they're not too sure about it because they just don't have any real frame of reference. Um, so my first point in your sermon notes, if you have them, is simply uh, having the proper perspective towards divine healing. Um, Jesus is not magic. That's the statement of an unbeliever. Um, they equate this whole idea of the power of God, and they put it on the same level as, I don't know, Harry Potter or the Avengers, or um, if you can remember back with me to Samantha Stevens and Bewitched, where she twinkles her nose and things get done, or I Dream of Genie with things floating in the air. And that's kind of how they think about the power of God. They don't really have any frame of reference. They don't really have any experience with knowing who God is and what he's capable of doing. And so they just kind of put it out there and like, uh, they sort of spin a wheel and put their finger, and if that works, maybe I'll try it. But you know, sometimes we in the church play into that too, don't we? Um, we get into the, this whole, uh, back a while ago now, we had these faith healing ministries that were out, and there was a lot of hoopla and showbiz, and um, a lot of these demonstrations, and they'd have people get up and give testimonies. And again, I don't want to really uh, get down on that and put that down, but, you know, it was kind of like they would get somebody to get a testimony, and did you get healed today? And it was, yes, I got healed today. What was your, your sickness or your illness? And it was like, well, I had a hangnail or something, and Jesus, you know, and it's like they would manufacture these, these general healings that 
you know, there, you couldn't prove or anything like that. And we'd get caught up in that. And it was like, maybe God did heal you of your hangnail, but that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the power of God with divine healing. God is able to do more than you can ask for or imagine. And the Bible says immeasurably more than you can ask for or imagine. And so let's not get caught up in this unbelief and uh, try to manufacture things to help God out or to help Jesus out. Um, I'm just going to move along. Secondly is the idea of immaturity. Another, another thing that is an improper perspective towards this idea of divine healing is this idea of, of being immature in our faith, having a sort of a, a selfish entitlement. Um, anybody out there ever seen the film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate, oh, Willy Wonka? Actually, what is the one with Gene Wilder? That's the one I'm thinking of. With Veruca Salt, you know who I'm talking about there? The little girl who's the rich girl, and uh, she gets taken into uh, uh, Willy Wonka's um, golden goose, egg, golden egg-laying goose, and she sits there and she goes, I want that now. And it's fantastic because she's got a whole song about that. She breaks out into song. I like musicals. But I want it now. I want it right now. Give it to me. And sometimes we as Christians have this feeling about God that, well, you know, God said it, so I believe it, but I want it now. And it has to be done now. And if it's not being done now, then God, you know, and then our faith starts to get on that idea of, well, God's got to meet my timetable. God's got to do what I want him to do. Um, and he just becomes a checklist. He becomes like Santa Claus. We give him a list of things we want done, and that's the extent of, um, of our attitude. Um, I don't think divine healing should be approached with that type of an attitude. That just because we want it, just because we have a need, that God has to respond to our needs. Um, got another illustration with this. I, uh, back when I was much younger, uh, I used to uh, go out to like Gibraltar Trade Center and I'd stand in line and I'd get autographs from uh, different athletes and stuff like that. And I remember going to uh, Gibraltar Trade Center, and I was in line. Um, and I'd been waiting in this line for about an hour to see a Red Wings player to get him to write his name on me, on my picture or whatever, and real exciting stuff. And uh, I had been waiting in line for about an hour, and uh, the security guard came, and he says, I'm going to have to cut off this line. And he cut it off right in front of me. It was like, what do you mean you're going to cut it off right in front of me? I've been waiting here an hour. I'm not going anywhere. And so I was determined I was going to wait that security out, guard out, and that Red Wing athlete was going to sign my paper, my whatever, because I was still there. But the truth of the matter is, it was up to the player whether he was going to sign it for me or not. I wasn't entitled just because I was waiting there. Do you understand the point that I'm making? Sometimes we have this immaturity attitude towards God that he has to do what I want him to do. And we forget the part that says Jehovah, Rapha, God, our healer. And so the proper perspective is to put God first, to put him in his proper place, that he should be on the throne. Another thing that gets in the way, another pro uh, improper perspective is when we are confronted with fear. Now, I'm going to do some confession here. I hope that there's somebody out there that's like me. Um, I get a cold, and the world's coming to an end. Okay, If my wife is sick, um, you know, I'm there, oh, honey, you're okay, you can do it. If I get sick, oh, I'm dying. Because the only thing I see is my need. You know, I'm suffering, I'm in pain, I'm, I'm uh, uncomfortable. And am I the only one that's like that? I know I was, I was sick a few weeks ago, and, you know, she was looking forward to going to work. She couldn't wait. Why don't you go back to work? Because I was um, 
a difficult patient. But when we face something of the unknown, when we face uncertainty, when we face um, maybe a diagnosis, when we face something that is bigger than we are, the immediate response is fear. And how many know that fear is a tremendous, powerful thing, isn't it? We learned that this past year with this COVID uh, pandemic. What fear does is it takes your eyes and focuses it myopically on your problem. You don't see anything else. You only see the thing that makes you afraid. And that's an improper view. You don't go to God for divine healing because you're scared that you're going to die. You go to God because he's the healer. Do you understand the difference there? We put our faith in God, and we want to overcome fear with faith. There was a song we used to sing um, back in the day when I, went to church, uh, when I was growing up. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. Then the things of earth will grow strangely dim. What happens is when you take your eyes off your problems, when you take your eyes off the situation, when you take your eyes off whatever it is that makes you afraid and you put it upon Jesus and we're going to talk to that in just a moment what happens is he increases and all those other things start to decrease and what happens is that God gives you what's the scripture say a peace that passes all understanding it doesn't mean that anything's changed, does it? But it does mean that you put it in the hands of the person that can do anything about it. And we call that faith. And that was what divine healing was referred to for a long time, was faith healing. Okay? Um, but what happens, I think, is sometimes maybe we got our eyes off of the healer and started trying to put it in our hands. Just to give us a definition of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, gives that to us. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command. So what was seen, uh, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And basically, faith is being confident in who God is. And so, in order to have a proper view of divine healing, you have to put God in that center place as the healer. The objective of faith is not to get anything from God. The objective of faith is to know him. Amen? My second point for your notes is to trust the proper person. So we want to have a proper perspective and we want to put the proper person right there. And um, that has to do with the whole idea of perspective, of, of seeing it not as something that affects, that affects me, but it's something that God is allowing, okay, in my life. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So he didn't put you in the situation uh, of a terminal illness or a situation where you're sick and then abandon you. And what happens when fear takes place, we start to take our eyes off of God and focus on the problems. Um, the disciples uh, in the boat, don't you care if we die? You know, they're looking at the storm and they're forgetting all about who's in the boat with them. And so let's talk a little bit about um, Jehovah Rapha, God, our healer. And let's look at, at some things that we see with God. First of all, is Jehovah Rapha is a name of God. In the Old Testament, there were, that God took certain names that he revealed himself to uh, Israel to, to reveal his character. 
And so it wasn't just uh, the God who does healing, but he is God, the healer. He wants us to know that is an attribute of him. That's a characteristic of him, that he is the God who heals. We can fast forward to the New Testament, and we know that Jesus reveals God the Father to us. Um, I heard this a long time ago. I can't attribute to where it came from originally, but uh, Jesus is God with skin on. Everything that we need to know about God, we see in Jesus. Amen? One of the, one of the major portions of Jesus' ministry on earth was that he healed the sick. Um, but a couple things I want to point out is, first of all, in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist was in prison and uh, sent, his, sent a couple of his disciples to Jesus and basically with the message, are you the one that we're waiting for? Are you the Messiah or should we wait for someone else? And Jesus uh, sent back the message that uh, tell John that uh, many are uh, healed of their diseases, uh, many of the blind see, and he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And I read a book when I was in college by Gene Edwards called The Prisoner in the Third Cell, and it talks about this uh, moment that John has where his faith is shaken because his circumstances had become very unpleasant. And maybe uh, he's not where he thought he would be. And that happens a lot of times when people get sick, uh, they start to think, how did I end up here? This isn't where I thought I'd be. We just watched a film last night um, talking about this very thing. A man and wife had uh, two children. Uh, he had just gotten a teaching job. He had just gotten an opportunity to coach. And things were looking really good. And he got diagnosed with ALS. And the doctor gave him three years to live. And it was all of a sudden, their dreams, their expectations, where they thought would be in life, started to crumble right in front of them. And that's a natural emotion when you have overwhelming things happen to you. But let it pass. And then focus your attention on God. This book makes an emphasis on the phrase that Jesus sent to John was many were healed of their diseases, but not all. Many blind received their sight, but not all. Jesus healed many people during his ministry, but he didn't heal everybody. And I think that's an important thing to point out because... Lest we forget, that was not Jesus' mission. That was not the purpose that he came. He came to deliver us from sin so that we could have relationship with the Father and we could have uh, eternity in heaven. Sometimes that gets lost, especially when we focus on our pain, our suffering, and the unknown in our lives. The character of Jesus is revealed in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. And if you've ever heard me preach before, I think I've come to this text. I, I love this interaction that Jesus has uh, with the leper. It's, G, it's Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. When Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And leprosy was that disease that nobody knew very much about, and it was something that could spread uncontrollably. And basically what they did was when somebody had leprosy, in order to protect themselves, they cast them out of the community. And they uh, alienated them, they ostracized them. And then if a person who was a leper uh, would come to any town, he would have to cry out that he was a leper, unclean, unclean, so that people could keep their distance from him so there was no chance of them getting what he had. And you can imagine 
the isolation and the loneliness and the heartache that living with that condition and how desperate it must have made people. And this man comes to Jesus and when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's another question that we have when we're sick or when we struggle with uh, illness or we struggle with something that is bigger than ourselves. We say, Lord, are you willing? Lord, don't you care? And Jesus says simply, he reached out his hand and touched the man. And he said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to him, to them. A couple of things to note here is that Jesus reached out and touched this man who was a leper. Don't know how long he had leprosy, but I can guarantee it's been a while since another human being touched him. And it's the first thing Jesus did is he reached out and touched the man not only looking to heal his physical body, but the emotional scars that went along, the trauma that went along with the terrible illness that he had. And he responded simply from a point of compassion, yes, I am willing. God is able to heal. He's the healer. God is also willing to heal, as we see here in this case. And you notice that when he touched him and he said to him, be clean, immediately the leprosy left him. And then he said, show yourself to the priest. There was no pretend healing here. There was no manufacturer healing. This wasn't anything that, well, the doctors don't really understand. This man was a leper. He met Jesus. He was no longer afflicted with leprosy. Prove it. Go show yourself to the priest. Go do what the law of Moses has asked you to do. Go ahead and make the offerings. Go do your part. But you are not the same anymore. And that's what we have to remember when it comes to divine healing, that we believe in an all-powerful God who has the power to heal completely. That God is more powerful than anything that afflicts this earth. Healing from God is genuine, authentic, and real. It doesn't have to be manufactured. I pulled this off. Um, of course, I didn't write down who I got it from. But I, I want to say Jack Hayford, but I'm not 100% on this. Um, three ways that God heals. In this case, immediately. Like that. Sometimes God heals like that. Um, my brother went overseas, and he came back with stories of uh, how they were out um, at services, and he could see um, tumors that were on people's faces that shrink right in front of them. Um, God heals gradually. Uh, the story of the blind man that he healed um, in Mark chapter 8, where he put the clay on his face, he said, go wash, and he said, you know, I, I see... Um, like trees moving around. He, he wasn't completely healed. He, he didn't have clear sight, so he went and he did it again. So Jesus didn't heal him immediately in that case, gradually. Um, and sometimes, eventually, sometimes when we go through healing, it's a process. And um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about um, the thorn in his flesh and you know, not yet. It hadn't been healed immediately. Um, for all we know, Paul might have uh, died with that affliction. God provides doctors. One of the things that we have to understand about healing is that we live in a country, and the reason that we might not see tumors shrink off of people's faces is because we have such good uh, such a good medical profession here in the United States that God has called people to be in the medical profession, to be doctors, and to help uh, heal the sick. And God heals through doctors. And I don't think that that's 
uh, a cop-out because when it comes to medicine and doctors, who is the healer? God is the healer, and my trust is in him. And most of the times, I don't know about you, but um, most of the times when I go to see a doctor, they're a complete stranger. I don't know anything about them. You know, maybe if it's a family doctor, I've seen them, you know, uh, once a year over a period of time, but if there's anything like surgery or any special type, that person's a complete stranger. Am I putting my full trust in this person? Or am I putting in God who brought me to that point and I'm trusting God through the process? There's a sense of common sense here. Um, I have a joke. It's, a, it's an old joke. You might have heard it. It's about a man on his roof during a flood. And I, uh, I know that with what we had here these last couple of weeks, it might not be funny. I'm not trying to but I've only got a limited amount in my joke book repertoire, so here it comes. And he's sitting on the roof during a flood, and his neighbors come by in a rowboat and ask him if he wants to get off the roof and join them in the rowboat, and they can get out of uh, where they're at. And he says, no, thank you. I'm just waiting on Jesus. And a couple hours later, uh, the police come, the, the, the sheriff comes in a motorboat, and he pulls alongside and says, you know, you want to get off your roof and get in the boat? The water's rising a little bit. And he says to him simply, no, that's okay, officer. I'm waiting on Jesus. And as the water continues to climb, he's got a small space on his roof, and the helicopter comes along from the Coast Guard, and they... Uh, Say to him, hey, do you, want us, do you want to get in the helicopter so we can save you? And he says, no, thank you. I prayed, and I'm just waiting on Jesus. And, of course, you know what happened is the man drowned. He gets to heaven, and he says, Lord, he says, I prayed for you to save me, and I waited for you to come, and now I've died. What happened? And Jesus says, well, I sent you two rowboats and a helicopter. We have the medical profession here in the United States. We have access to it. And I know it's not 100% in every case. There's a lot of things that they don't know. But God uses that. And so we shouldn't be afraid to, to reach out in that manner. Our God is able to heal us. Our God is willing to heal us. And we need to understand that we want to put it in his hands and trust him through it. Again, with the character of Jesus, with the woman with the issue of blood. She had been uh, had this condition for 12 years, and she was at a point of desperation. And so I bring that out to, to again, show you that Jesus encountered desperate people. And when you are sick, um, you can get to these points of desperation. I want to let you know, he understands and uh, in Luke chapter 8, the woman's attitude is, well, he's busy. If I can just press through the crowd and just touch the hem of his garment, then I could be healed. Again, she is putting her faith in what? She's putting her faith in Jesus. That, again, if I encounter him, things will not be the same. And she reaches out, she touches him, and immediately she's healed. And Jesus stops. And I love that because he's on the way to somewhere else. He's got an important engagement. Um, he's with a leader in the community, a rich man, uh, who has already uh, previously um, contracted him to come out and, and see her, his uh, uh, servant. And Jesus stops and he delays. And he says, who touched me? And his disciples are going, what do you mean? Who touched you? There are people who are crowding around you all over the place. What are you talking about, Jesus? And it's like, why are you wasting time here trying to find out someone who touched you? And he said, I have felt virtue go out of me. I, somebody was healed because they touched me, and I want to know who that person is. And I often thought, why? Why did it matter? Because she mattered. The woman had suffered. 
and she felt that she wasn't really that important to make a big deal about that. How many of us are like that? Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, I'm okay. You can hardly walk. Are you going to go to the doctor? Oh, I'm okay. You matter. You are worth his time. And so, again, the reason that I'm going through this is because he is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord, our healer. And he is willing and he is able. And he cares about your desperate plights and he cares about your suffering. He cares about your fear. He cares about your pain. He's willing to take his time and stop. I got one more story and we'll move on. This one is in John chapter 5. And it's about the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethsaida. John chapter 5 verses 1 through 8. And I've always kind of liked this this story, but I didn't really understand a lot about it. And um, if you have not been watching The Chosen, I want to encourage you to to, uh, maybe get in on that bandwagon because they do certain things really well. And this was a story that came out in season two, episode four. And I thought it was interesting because the first time I watched it, I had no interest in it because I was sick and I was dying. And the last thing I wanted to do was watch a program. And so I really wasn't into it, you know, like the other ones, because I was only half paying attention to it because I was too busy moaning. But it's all about this lame man and about what happened to him. And, you know, um, it's dramatic license. You know, they're telling a story. And so they, they, they give you some backstory to this, to this guy. And um, he falls out of a tree and he, he cripples himself. But he was crippled for 38 years. And he ended up at the pool of Bethsaida. And they give you kind of the backstory of the pool of Bethsaida, which is, uh, it was a pagan uh, thing that was set up by the Greeks. And basically when uh, the, the waters were troubled, um, Jesus' magic, the magic power, if they went into the waters, then they could be healed. And this man could never get into the waters. And so the, the program shows all his frustration over this time, that he tries to get in the water and people are getting there ahead of him, and he just can't get there in time. And then Jesus shows up. And I love the portrayal, so I'm going to ruin it for you if you haven't watched it yet. Jesus shows up, and in this pool area, there's a lot of people there. And he looks across the room and he goes, there's the man. And his disciples go, what do you mean, there's the man? He's the one that's been here the longest and doesn't belong here. And they're going, what? What are you talking about? And, you know, Peter, if you know the story, Peter's got to get his guard up because you know something's going to happen got to look out for him. And so they go down there, and Jesus walks up to him and engages him in conversation, and he asks him a question. He says, like in Scripture, do you want to get well? And then the man goes on about his plight, about how he's been here, and nobody will help him, and uh, he can't get in the water, and people get in front of him, and he starts listing off these complaints. How many of you have a complaint or two? When somebody asks you, do you want to get well? Well, you don't understand. And you start listening off your complaints. And Jesus says, that wasn't the question I asked you. I didn't ask you about why you couldn't get to the water. I didn't ask you uh, about people getting. I asked you, do you want to get well? He says, because this place has nothing for you. And he says this in the show. And I love it because I I think it goes right along with the scripture He says, this place has nothing for you, and you know it. He says, all you need is me. My hair hair is standing up just with that. All you need is me. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And we as Christians know who Jesus is, that he is God in the flesh, 
that he has come to reveal who God is to us. God so loved the world that he has come to save us from our sins, that he rose from the dead and he has purchased eternal life for us. He has redeemed us. And we know the scripture stories about the power of God and the power that Jesus, is wield, Jesus wielded. And you know what happened. He says, get up, and all of a sudden, life started coming into those crippled legs, and he got up, and he, and he started, and Peter says to him, he says, don't forget your bed. And he goes, why? He says, because you're not coming back here. Everything's different. And that's what you and I have to remember that we serve a risen Savior who is alive today and he walks with us every day. He walks through us through our good times and he walks through us with our bad times. Understand, when the people of Israel went to Merah, they had just come from the Red Sea. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Do you know that song? I will sing unto the Lord, for he has given us victory. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. My Lord, my God, my strength, my song has now become my victory. I'm sorry. For those of you at home, I'm sorry. I got into a moment. But they were at the victory. They were singing. They're waving palm branches. Things are good. And they get to Merah, and all of a sudden, they're thirsty, and the water's bitter. What do they do? They cry out unto the Lord, their shield, their victory, the Lord, their song. No, they grumble to Moses. We're going to die. That's a pattern in the Bible, isn't it? Where God brings you this tremendous victory, and then there's a bit of a testing. There's a shaking. Are you just there because you received bread? Because he fed the 5,000? Are you just there for the show? Are you just there to get your healing? Or is there something more going on? Do you really want to know Christ? Do you want to fellowship with him in his suffering? Do you understand that this world is not our home? We have to understand there's a bigger picture that we need to have as Christians, and we just can't get caught up in being myopic, focused on our own problems, our own situations, our own pain and suffering. But Jesus still asked the question, do you want to get well? So I don't want to take away from this idea of divine healing. I just want to put it in its proper place. Do you understand? You are the God that healeth me. That's his name. He is the Lord, our healer. He is able to heal. He is willing to heal. Jesus demonstrated that time after time when he came in, into contact with desperate, hurting people, he was moved with compassion and he intervened. Third point. I hope I'm not too long. I'm sorry. I am wrapping it up here. Third point is to, again, remember the proper purpose of divine healing. Just real quick, John chapter 3, and also in John chapter 12, Jesus talks about uh, Moses lifting up the bronze serpent in the wilderness. And again, the serpent was a pagan symbol from, from Egypt. And they lifted it up. And at this time, the people of Israel were grumbling again, which they were, they were known to do. And uh, they were afflicted. Uh, by vipers and poisonous vipers and basically uh, God commanded them that anybody that looked upon the serpent would be healed and then there was a decision to be made either they looked up on the serpent to be saved or they refused to look up and they perished and Jesus compares that to himself as he's lifted up on the cross and in John chapter 12 he says if I be lifted up Finish that verse for me. I will do what? I will draw all men unto me. And we cannot lose the sight of the gospel, that it is the gospel that we as Christians are uh, perpetuating, that Jesus loves you, that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, that you can have a home for him in eternal life, that you can live forever. 
and that sin is an issue that we still need to be dealing with. The objective of our faith is to know Christ. The purpose of miracles is to validate the gospel. Jesus often did miracles, but many of the miracles that he did were with a purpose. Uh, the story with a man that was uh, uh, lowered into the roof that he was speaking at. And he saw the man laying on the mat, and he looked at him and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees started grumbling. Who is this man who can say these things? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or take up your mat and walk? And he healed the man right there and caused a big stir with the Pharisees where they wanted to stone him. But the point again is that that miracle was done with a purpose to validate who Jesus is, that he has the authority to forgive sin. The man's lameness wasn't the issue. It was man's sinfulness that was the issue. It was man's sinfulness that brought Jesus to die on the cross so that we are not paying for our sins, but the blood of Jesus redeems us. And that is the message that we as Christians need to continue to uh, hold on to, that Jesus came to save us from our sin. Healing was a major part of his earthly ministry, but it was a part of his ministry. Healing is provided for in the atonement in Isaiah 53. Uh, by his stripes, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. Healing was a major part of the ministry of the early church because there's something about somebody who's suffering that gets their attention. And when they're delivered, it makes an impression. One of the things I got away from early on when I became a Christian is the secret formula. You know, I was always looking for the secret formula, six steps to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, Five steps to get your, your to claim your healing from God. You know, there's all this kind of crazy stuff out there. But I don't want to leave you with, um, without anything. So maybe this can be your growth work, I guess. <laughs> the first thing that you need to do when it comes to divine healing is believe. Believe. How many times has Jesus talked about, where's your faith? Believe in God. God, you're my healer. Okay, well, it doesn't seem like you're healing right now. Okay. But does that mean you have to stop believing? Because who are you believing in? You're believing in the God that healeth thee. The Lord, your healer, that's his name. Draw near to God. Hebrews chapter 10 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Again, what's the whole point? The point is to allow the pain, the suffering, whatever it is that God has used to get your attention, to get your attention. And draw near to God. And he will walk with you. Third thing is ask. Matthew chapter 7, this verse Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. I had a Greek class that talked about that. I'm hoping I'm saying it. I think this is the imperative method. Ask, and keep on asking. Seek, and keep on seeking. Knock, and keep on knocking. How long should I do that? Until God brings that healing. Until God delivers you. I don't think that there is a timer set on that. Keep exercising that faith. Keep trusting God. And that's the next point. Trust in him. James chapter 5 talks about calling the elders of the church to pray for you. And the prayer of faith will make you well. Trust in him. Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, we have a high priest uh, who has been tempted in every way that we have. He is not an unsympathetic to what it is to be a human being because he walked this earth. I 
I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, and the fiery furnace. Um, these three young men uh, disobeyed the king Nebuchadnezzar, and the penalty for that was death, and they were scheduled to th be thrown into the fiery furnace unless they agreed to bow down to the idol, which they had refused to, and they said this, our God is able to deliver us, our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Those are three young men that understood who God was. And we as Christians need to get back to that point of understanding who God is because this world is not our home. And uh, we need to understand that God has prepared a place for us. And we don't understand everything now. Paul says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then, when we go to be with Jesus, then when we die, then when we are in heaven, uh, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. We want to have the proper perspective that healing is about getting our eyes on God. Secondly, is understanding the nature and character of God, that he loves you. That doesn't change. He is with you. He is willing to heal you. And lastly, the purpose of healing is to bring attention to, to the gospel. And we need to understand that we need to be about that as well. Let's stand as we close. And I thank you for your patience. And I think that they're counting me down. So I'm going to close in prayer. Father, I just thank you for your word. And Lord, I, I hope that I did okay communicating it. But I, my encouragement is anyone that is suffering, anyone that is struggling, anyone that is in need of healing, that they would bring it to you, God our healer. And Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with cancer or those who are struggling with major illnesses, those who are struggling, that you would intervene, Lord. And we trust you because you are trustworthy. You are good. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us as we go tonight and that uh, you would give us opportunities to share our faith. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, God bless you.